Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces. I'm your host, Cassiopeia. This week, I have another creepy case for you. One that is disturbing on many levels. When a resident of a small suburb in Pensacola, Florida, is found murdered in his home and his two sons missing, the entire community on edge, hoping to find the boys safe and well. But as details of the murder unfold, they are shocked to hear just who the murderer is. This is the creepy case of the murder of Terry King. Terry King resided in Cantonment, a suburb located on the north side of Pensacola, Florida, about 30 miles south of Alabama. Now, Cantonment was usually known to be a quiet area, so when Terry was found murdered, it really shook the community. At about 1.39 a.m. on November 26, 2001, the fire department was called to the King resident on the 1100 block of Muskegee Road. Now, while one side of the house was on fire, firefighters rushed in the other side to look for anyone who may still be in the home. And the macabre scene that they found inside was shocking, to say the least. They found the body of Terry King sitting in his recliner, feet propped up, arms crossed, with a cup of coffee on the table next to him. It looked as if he was just taking a nap. Now, he had dried blood on his face with blood on the walls as well, and the crime scene suggested that the fire isn't what killed Terry. His head had been bashed in with such brutal force, there was blood splatter 12 feet across the room. Now even more off-putting, Terry's son, 13-year-old Derek, and 12-year-old Alex were missing. First responders canvassed the neighborhood, asking about the King family, where the boys could possibly be, but no one really knew much about them except that they should look at Rick Chavez, a 40-year-old family friend who was closer to the young boys than people felt appropriate. Now, the police went to Rick's home, and they felt it was rather unusual. Tall fences with electrical wire over the top surrounded his property, and he had surveillance cameras everywhere. Police found Rick's behavior also a little odd. While being questioned, he told them that he had to use the restroom and rushed to the back of the home. Rick told police that he didn't know where Alex and Derek were, but he had received a voicemail from Alex that said they weren't coming home. 
The police were suspicious about his relationship with the boys, but they didn't really have a lot of evidence to go on to push any further. So it was just the next day when Rick claimed to have found the boys and brought them into Escambia County Sheriff's Office. And while the crime was horrific enough, it was even more shocking to find that Terry's own sons, one not even yet a teenager, were his killers. questioned the boys, starting with Derek, and he immediately said that he was afraid Terry would punish them. Now, we told police that on November 16th, he and Alex had run away, taken a backpack full of clothes and several knives. Now, Terry drove around looking for the boys and had even called police. He believed that they had gone to Ricky's house, but Rick denied that they were there. About a week later, Derek's former foster family called Terry, saying that they had seen him in Pace, which is about 18 miles from where they lived. Now, Derek begged them not to send them back to Terry, but Terry came to pick him up anyway. He asked where they went and where Alex was, and Derek told him that they spent several days in the woods and that Alex was still out there. On November 25th, Rick called Terry, claiming that Alex had called him from a payphone, and he went to pick him up. The boys were so afraid that Terry would react violently, they created a plan to make sure that wouldn't happen. Now, Derek implied that Terry was abusive, both mentally and physically, and now this has never actually been proven. But he said that Terry was demanding to know where they were and who they were with, which to me just sounds like a parent and just trying to protect his, his kids. Now, Derek said when they wouldn't give him any answers, Terry grabbed Alex's arms, which to me doesn't sound horrible. I'm not for, you know, like beating your kids or anything like that, but I do believe that discipline is needed. Now they waited for Terry to fall asleep in his chair, and it was then Derek grabbed an aluminum baseball bat and hit Terry in the head, hearing a crack. And then he kept hitting him. He was afraid that Terry was going to open his eyes so he just kept hitting him. Alex witnessed the entire murder. Now after this, they wanted to get rid of the evidence, so they put the bat on Terry's bed, set it on fire, and left the house, and they hitchhiked to the woods. Now there are some discrepancies in reports because some I saw said that they turned themselves in the next day and then others said it was like two days later and then others said it was a week later. So I'm not actually sure what the time frame is on that, but I know that they called Rick who actually went and picked them up. And when police questioned Alex, they were given the same story, except Alex told them that he actually told Derek to kill his dad. 
Now both boys were actually charged as adult for the murder of their father. Detectives couldn't believe that they had just heard from the two young boys and they actually had suspicions that Rick was hiding something. And they ran his criminal background to find that he was actually a pedophile. In 1984, he had been caught in a hotel room bed with three runaway boys. And he actually worked at this hotel. And um, I'm sure you can imagine he got fired, but he was also charged and pled no contest. Now, in their original interviews, it was claimed that Rick was not involved. However, Rick confessed that Alex and Derek were actually hiding at his house the entire time after the murder. And they also faked the voicemail from Alex. And Rick claimed that he really liked Alex and made Alex believe that he was in love with Rick. There was never proof of a sexual relationship, but police believed that he definitely groomed both boys. Now, Rick was then charged with accessory to murder and tampering with evidence. And he was also charged with lewd acts against a child when Alex claimed he molested him. The boys also changed their story, saying that Rick was the one who murdered Terry and told them that they, they should be the ones to claim that they killed him. And he actually told him that the exact details and said that they would get off if they confessed because they were juveniles. And as we can see, that didn't work because they were actually charged as adults. Now, Alex and Derek were charged with an open count of murder, which means that there isn't, it's not a first degree, a second degree, a third degree, it's, it was just an open count at the time. And they got moved to the juvenile detention center. Now, it's only a few weeks later that they're charged with first degree murder, and they're transferred to the county jail where they are held without any bond. Rick is charged with accessory after tampering with evidence and his bond is set at 50000 Now in January 2002, Rick pleads innocent to harboring the boys after the murder. He's found scratching a message into the floor of the recreation yard that read, Alex, don't trust. And that's as far as he got. Now in February, the boys are separated into two different cells because Alex actually ended up cutting and bruising his arms and Derek claims that he wants to electrocute himself. On August 27, 2002, Rick's trial begins. Derek and Alex testify their confessions were a lie to protect him. Judge Bell dismisses this theory as he says that the evidence is just not there. After three days of testimonies, it took only five hours to reach a verdict. He was found not guilty of Terry King's murder, but at the time he was awaiting trial for the lewd acts and accessory to murder. On September 3rd, 2002, Alex and Derek's trial begins. And Alex testifies that he and Derek hid in Rick's trunk while Rick murdered Terry. 
On September 6th, they're both found guilty of second-degree murder without a weapon and arson, and they face 22 years to life. Shh! Do you smell that? The fairies must be whipping up something amazing over at the Wiccan Fae Candle Nook. The custom layered candles are a must for all candle lovers. With your choice of three scents, you can create your very own garden soiree or Sunday yummy Sunday. With names like Bitch Slap Blue, Chill the Fuck Out, and even the new Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces scent line, you are bound to find something for everyone. So right now, when you mention the code CREEPYSPOOKY, you'll get 10% off your first order. So head on over to pizzaandpigtails.com and click the shop link up in the left-hand corner and get your very own Wiccan Fae candles today. In October, Judge Bell throws out the convictions against Alex and Derek, saying that their trial was unfair, and he orders the case into mediation. Maybe this might have been one of the first criminal cases in Florida to actually be moved to mediation. Now, the teens end up pleading guilty to third-degree murder. Derek is sentenced to eight years in the Omega Juvenile Prison, and Alex is sentenced to seven years in the Okeechobee Juvenile Offender Correctional Center. In February of 2003, Rick goes on trial for 10 counts of lewd and lascivious acts on Alex, and one count of kidnapping the 12-year-old. Now, Alex testifies, detailing his sexual relationship with Ricky. Now, he's acquitted of the molestation charges, but is found guilty of false imprisonment. In March, he's found guilty of accessory after tampering with evidence, and he's sentenced to 35 years. Now, I know that they were kids, but could you imagine being an accessory? You weren't even present, nor did you perform the murder. How long, or however you get longer in prison than the the kids who actually committed the murder. Now, there's a lot of questions that are still left unanswered. And the one that everyone asks is, what could drive these two young boys to murder their father? Now, let's start with a little family history. Terry King met Janet French in 1985 while he was an air conditioner repairman and she was actually a stripper slash waitress. They were together for about eight years, but they never married, and Alex and Derek were their only children. Janet became pregnant with twins by another man while she was still living with Terry. In 1993, Janet left the family completely. She kept in contact for a little while, but soon she just disappeared, moving to Kentucky, leaving Terry to raise the five- and six-year-olds on his own. In 
and she also actually changed her name to Kelly Marino. Now, Terry was working as a printing press operator, and he was going through a lot of financial difficulties, and the home would sometimes go without electricity or a phone, and he found it quite difficult to keep food on the table. And not long after Kelly left, um, Terry actually placed the boys in a Christian home for children, and they were put up for adoption or foster. But soon after that, Derek was sent to live with the Lay family as a foster child while Alex remained alone in state care. Now the following year, Alex, distraught from being separated from his brother, was placed back in the care of his father as they thought it was best for his well-being. Now, Derek remained with his foster parents of seven years until he became excessively destructive and they actually also returned him to, to Terry. Now, Terry was known to be a strict parent, but it was said that he did his best that he could with his children. And when the boys were returned to his care, Terry would take them to work with him as he couldn't afford childcare. And the boys actually hated this because they wanted to hang out with their friends instead, which, I mean, you can't really blame them. They're children. They don't want to be just at work with dad. Now this was when they met Rick Chavis, a local mechanic who Terry would use his yard to repair his car. And the boys would come, come with him, because once again, no childcare. Now they enjoyed it, and Rick actually encouraged to bring them, which to me is a major red, red flag. Like if you're coming over and like, let's say the boys are over at a friend's house and then this family friend is like encouraging and kind of trying to get you to bring your kids, I think that's a little odd. But Terry didn't know about Rick's previous convictions. Now the brothers would actually hang out in a hidden room with Ricky, playing video games and smoking pot. And he soon persuaded them to run away from home and move into the home with him. When Terry would come by, Rick would hide them and say that he hadn't seen the boys. And he groomed them, focusing on Alex, telling him that no one could understand him, a gay boy, like he could. Police found journals written by Alex about his feeling for Rick. And the murder happened not too long after this. Now, fast forward. Derek was released in 2009, age 20, after serving seven years, and he moved to Texas to live in a community set up for those who have committed patricide. Now, Alex was released on parole in 2008 at just age 18 after serving six years of his sentence. In 2011, he was reincarcerated after breaking his parole when he left the scene of an accident. And he moved to Texas in 2013 to be close to his brother. Now in 2002, Kelly Marino, the boy's mother, said that the brothers had no idea how their lives were about to change. They believed that they were just going to be among other children and playing on playgrounds and that they were going to have fun. 
Now the boys, now adults, show a deep, deep regret for what they've done and a desire to move on with their lives, wanting to put it all behind them. Although, how can one truly move past something like murdering your father, emotionally or socially? Creepy Cases and Spooky Spaces with Cassiopeia is a Pizza and Pigtails production. All episodes researched, written, and edited by yours truly. You can find new episodes every Friday with bonus episodes coming out every other Tuesday on your favorite podcast listening platform. Be sure to follow along on Instagram and Facebook at creepycases.spookyspaces for all podcast news and updates. Don't forget to subscribe through the anchor.fm or the Patreon page for exclusive access to bonus content, early episode access, and thank you swag. And if you have a creepy case or a spooky space that you would like to hear featured on a future episode, send me an email at creepycases.spookyspaces at gmail.com. <laughs>